Great to be here with you today. Uh, you guys are awesome. I've been here only two, at least two or three times. And every time I come, you're warm, you're friendly, you're kind. Um, Pastor is right. We, we've known each other for 17 years. Um, and I can say this, they're some of my favorite people. How many you know you can tell how you really feel about a person by how their name pops up on your phone and how you feel? You know what I'm talking about. You see that name, maybe you've got a picture attached, maybe you should delete the picture, and that name pops up, and you're like, oh, I don't want to answer that. Now, we, we, we did ministry, I'm from South Carolina, but we did ministry together in California. And so, like, when he, when he left, he goes, Pastor, I need you to remember me. I need it to be special when I call you. So I think I have, like, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre plays, like, California, and that's what pops up on my phone. So part of the reason why I enjoy you calling me is like, I just jam out for like a quick second when you call. But um, other than that, though, I love you. I love you. You're my friends, you're dear people. Can you give your pastors just a big thank you and a wonderful. I'm stalling really just to fix my notes. Um, my notes are all backwards because I already did this thing already. So my notes had to go back. Um, hey, my wife is here with me. My friends are here with me. They wanted to fly out. There. Some of them had never seen San Antonio. My wife is here. Pray, pray for my wife. My wife is stressed out right now. Um, we got a phone call as soon as we got here in San Antonio. My dog got put in prison. My dog got locked up, y'all. My dog bit the mail lady. And they were like, well, we need to see her papers, make sure she's not a rabid, crazy animal. And we were like, I don't think we got papers. We, like, found that dog. And so they are like, well, the, the, the dog's going to the clink. And so dog got locked up, y'all. Dog is locked up for seven days till we can get back and bail her out. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, pray for my wife. She's barely hanging on. It's an ugly dog too. I don't even know why you care. That dog is ugly as all get out, but like cute ugly too. So like, I love her. She's a good dog. She'd protect me. So be you ever come to my house, watch out. She'll get you because she don't even care. Like that whole do the crime, do the time. She don't even care. Anyway, it's my dog's in jail. It's good to be here with you, though. It's great to be, again, a, 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 you know, Pastor, and you said something funny. If there's anything good about this church, you have him to thank. I thought, man, if there's anything bad you don't like about this church, now you're like, it's that guy's fault. <laughs> it goes either way, I guess. And let me just say this, too. If you're new here today and I say anything dumb or ridiculous, it'll be better next week and he'll fix it all. So if I offend you today, just don't even worry about it. Come back next week no matter what. And so anyway, but let's dive in. Everybody say Economy. It's a cool idea, right? Like the idea is, is that my economy doesn't have to match the world's economy. And thank God for that because the world's economy seems crazy right now. Unlike any other time in my life, the last six months have been crazy. Does anybody have a time period that's crazier than the last six months? Anybody want to shoot for it? No? Anybody live in the 20s? Or something? I don't know. Um, I, I'm telling you what, craziness and how it affects us. I know people that used to have jobs and, and now they don't have jobs or people used to go to an office and now they work from home or bless God, some of you parents used to be like a stay-at-home mom and now you got them kids with you because they shut down the schools and you're like, I don't even know if I like these kids. And then it dawns on you. They're like that because of you. It's your fault. And you're like, ah, I don't even know what I've done. So your world has been changed and it's real easy to like get rattled by what the outside economy does, and forget that you're a part of a kingdom economy as you follow Christ. And so today I want to tell you a story. It's in Luke chapter 5. If you want to go there early in your Bibles, there's a story about a group of people that have a bad moment and a bad season in their economy, and Jesus intervenes into their world, and then I think there's just some unbelievably cool stuff in there. So can we do that together today? Luke chapter 5. Let's read a cool story. The Bible says, one day 
As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the, he, uh, saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, why were they washing their nets? Because they were done, right? So like, um, I like to go fishing, but I grew up like fishing where you do this all day. It's like rod and reel, you cast it, and you, you, know, you do that. That's not how they fished. They fished in teams with big nets, and they did it at night. And so this is early in the morning. So they done fished all night long. They're tired, but they're cleaning up, and they're washing their nets. That's important. He got into one of their boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. Really cool little observation. Why would Jesus do that? Acoustics. When you're talking to big, large crowds of people and you're tired of yelling, right? You're like, you know what? If I just get into the boat and push out, you get the acoustics of the water. You ever notice that like when you're at the lake? It's kind of fun to listen to what other people are talking about in that other boat. And you can hear them really clearly. And so anyway, that's all Jesus is doing. So he pushes out from the boat. But when he had finished speaking, he says to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, how do you think that made these guys feel? Have you ever been an expert in a field and then some knucklehead that is not an expert in your field gets up into your world and then tells you how to do your job? How does that go over with you? Like these men are generational fishers. That's all they've ever known. Their dads were fishermen. Their grandfathers were fishermen. That's all they've ever known. And Jesus shows up and he's a rabbi who's the son of a carpenter. And he gets into their boat and tells them what to do. After they spent all night fishing and were doing what? Washing their nets. What's the last thing you want to do with your nets after you got through washing them? Put them back in. Like you don't want to do that. You're like, this is inconvenient, Jesus. No, thank you. That's what I would have said. Thank you. Peter for being wiser and smarter than me in this moment. So Simon Peter answers, though. His answer is brilliant. He said, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so. That's the key verse. If you want to underline something or highlight. Because you say so. I'll, I'll let down my nest. Because what Jesus has done is said, hey, guess what? I'm going to interrupt your world. I'm going to get into your boat. I'm going to say something that sounds counterintuitive. I'm just going to mess with your flow a little bit. And that's really what you see here. Number one is this, if you want to take some ideas from this. Number one is this, just let Jesus into your boat. It's the smartest thing you could ever do. If you're here visiting and somebody promised you food later and you just got tricked into being here, it's just a thought I want you to consider. Let Jesus into your boat. Your boat will be better if you let Jesus into it. Now, for us who have already let Jesus into our boat, let's, let's go to the next level. At some point, when we look at our economy, because what is their boat? Their boat is their economy. That's their business. That's their livelihood. That's how they make money. That's how they put food on the table. That is their wealth. That is, that is their world. And they let Jesus into their boat. But the second thing they did was this, is they kind of admitted that maybe I don't always know what I'm doing. Like, I need to go ahead and just admit, sometimes my way doesn't work. Even though I think I'm an expert, every once in a while, what if, what if, what if the rabbi actually knows what he's talking about? What if the master actually, what if Jesus actually knew what he was talking about? Maybe I should just admit. And then ultimately, this is the third point, is this, just do whatever he tells me to do. And my life will be more blessed if I do that. Now, it's hard to do that, but my life will be better. Now, so here's what I did. I was thinking about this story, and I thought, well, these are fishermen. But I, I'm not a fisherman. 
but I have a business, an economy, a finance. I have a thing, right? What would Jesus tell me to do? What would I be responding and saying, what's my because you said so thing? What would Jesus actually tell me to do? And I started thinking about it. I started thinking, what would Rabbi Jesus like pass down to me as the most important things that he would tell me to do when it comes to my economy, my boat, my business, my world, my finances? Because here's what I recognize is that there's some ancient Jewish wisdom that has been passed down over so many generations, and it keeps helping produce really, really wealthy people, people whose economy seems to supersede the world economy. And I thought, what would be the ancient Jewish wisdom that would have been passed down to Jesus, that Jesus would have put his stamp on and said, yes, you can do that. So today, I want to share with you seven things that I think these are the most important principles that you can add to your world, that if you let Jesus in your boat, you just admit, maybe I don't always know what to do. I'm just going to do whatever you say. This is what I think Jesus would tell you. Now, these are principles. Everybody say principles. principles. That just means they're kind of like timeless truths, right? There's an old phrase that says methods are many, principles are few, methods always change, principles never do. Can I get a what, what? Yeah. So that's what we're talking about, these timeless principles. And so here's what I want to give you today. And guess what? Let me help you real quick here. Everybody relax. There's no second offering. I don't, I don't, I'm not taking an offering. Pastor Aaron, you take an offering. God doesn't need your money. You ever thought about that? What a ridiculous idea. Like God needs your money. Like he pays the angels. Like they're on a salary or something. <laughs> Got a light bill. I'm stressed out here. You know, God, God doesn't have... God, it, don't shrink God down like that. God doesn't need your money. The church here doesn't even need your money. You guys are a blessed church. Church doesn't need your money. This is not about anybody trying to get anything from you. So relax. It's like the little girl who's at church and the pastor kept preaching on and on and on about money. And finally, she looks over to his to mom and is like, hey, if we give him the money now, will he just let us go? That's not what this is. There's no, there's no offer. Everybody just relax. It's all good. What I want to do is give something to you so that you can be blessed beyond your imagination. So here we go. You ready? Seven principles. I don't know how much time I got, but I'm going to go for it. Ready? Number one is this. In all things, God first. Like this is the most foundational principle to anything, especially when it comes to your finances. This is what we would actually refer to as the preeminence of God, right? Your eminence is your awesomeness, your superiority, right? It's, and, and God is preeminent, meaning whatever you think is good or awesome or superior, God is before that. God is always first and above all and higher than all. And as soon as you begin to live a life that reflects that, your life will be more blessed. And when that trickles down into your finances, what you realize is, oh, I have to put God first in my finances. As a matter of fact, this is exactly what Solomon taught in the book of Proverbs. He says it like this. He goes, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. Everybody say first. First, first fruits. Not second fruits. Not third fruits. I don't even know what other fruits. Other fruits. First fruits. Only your, honor the Lord with your first fruits of all your crops. Then, everybody say then. Then, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Now, how many of you want some barns? Yeah. How many want some big, yeah. You want, so this is what we would call the promises of God. Right? That God promises to do a work in your life to bless you. But remember this, the promises have a premise. That's why the word then is stuck in there. So the premise is, is when I put God first in my finance, there's a promise that God wants to bless me. But it comes when I put God, everybody say first. Now watch, this goes back. This is so old school. This is the story of Cain and Abel. Like we think Cain and Abel is about anger issues. And it is. Like, you know. Don't murder people. That's a good, you know, write that one down. But, but that's, not, that's not really what's going on there. That the, the point of the Cain and Abel story had nothing to do with, with whether they had anger issues or not. They had offering issues. Because it begins with the story of two young men who bring their offerings to the Lord. And it says that Cain, that when he brought his offering, it, it kind of words it weird. It says like in the process of time, Cain brought 
some of the fruit from his, it's like, hey, you know, when I got around to it. And God's like, nah, you keep that. It's all good. It was, clearly wasn't important to you. Don't even worry about it. And then Abel comes along, and it says that he gives the fat of the firstborn of all of his flock. Now, me as a young Bible student would assume God is not vegan. He doesn't want your vegetables. He wants some beef, some lamb, right? Some lamb chops, some brisket, some tri-tip, some filet mignon. Don't want, your, don't want your broccoli. Keep that. Keep your squash. But that's not what it is, although it should be. That's not what it is. It had nothing to do with fruits or veggies or beef or lamb. It had to do with first or leftovers. That God is first and higher than all and above all. And if he's not that, he's like, no, that's cool. Then you got this. Apparently, I'm not, so I'm not first, then I'm not. I just, I'll just step back a little bit here. And so we recognize that in life, we want to put God first in all things. And, and let me even take that statement a little bit deeper. Because I think preachers, we say put God first. And what we do is in our mind, we start thinking very linear. And we start thinking, oh, okay, well, I have a list of priorities, a list of things, and I need to put God first, right? So we end up saying, okay, well, God, and then, you know, my wife, and then maybe my kids, you know, then my job, and then your in-laws at the bottom, you know, it's down there really far. Can I get an amen? Yeah, anyway. So, you know, you got your list, however you do that. Maybe fishing is higher than your, anyway. The point is that God does because God doesn't want you to neglect your wife. Come on, how ridiculous. God doesn't want you to neglect your kids. Be like, no, 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 I'm not going to feed you right now. I'm going to put God first. You fast for a little bit. No, 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 no. God doesn't want to be first on a list of things. God wants to be first in all things. Meaning, as I think about my marriage, how can God be first and foremost? In my parenting, how can God be first and foremost? In my finances, in my hobbies, in my in-laws or whatever, you know, whatever you get down to. So in God first, in all things, and that actually helps create. Because whatever you put first orders all other things. That's why he, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things will be added unto you. Whatever you put first actually orders everything else in your life. That's how you achieve that blessed, abundant life. Can I get an amen if you know what I'm talking about? So that's, that's just where we're going to start. So we want to put God first in all things, especially first even in our economy. Number two is this, though. This is really good. We recognize, again, separate principles all working together in harmony. I am the owner of nothing and the steward of everything. Now, Pastor, you talked about this last week. We, we leap out of the idea of how we look at stuff and think, oh, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. Isn't that what little kids do when they're jockeying for position and stealing toys from one another? Even when they're real little, they have mine. And what happens is we grow up and we kind of keep that mentality. Like, that's mine. And we don't recognize it, it's not yours. I'll prove it to you. When you came into this earth, you was naked. When you leave, they're going to put a nice suit or a nice dress on you. But really, let's be honest, you ain't keeping nothing, right? You have this whole life for a little window and a little moment of time. And so what you got to recognize is that I am stewarding or managing this little moment in time that God has given me. I don't actually own it. It's, it's a gift, right? So like, like, for instance, there's this story about this old man who had this mind mentality and he hoarded everything that he had. And when he, he knew he was going to die, he went to his wife and he said, hey, I want you to bury me with everything. I want to keep it. It's mine. I earned it. It's all, I, I want it. I want you to bury me with it. And she's like, okay, sweetie, whatever, whatever you want, you know. And so people, people hear about this story, asking this ridiculous request. And so at the funeral, the friend leads over to the widow and was like, hey, I heard about what your husband asked. He wanted to be buried with everything? She goes, yeah, that's what his last request was. She goes, did you honor it? She goes, of course I did. That's my husband. Of course I honored it. 
She goes, how in the world did you do that? Did you like bury him with all of his stuff? Did you get a bigger casket? Did you just, what did you do? She says, I wrote him a check. <laughs> See, you don't get to keep any of that stuff. That's not, that's not yours. It's on lease for a moment in time. And here's, the, here's what you walk, here's the practical application of what you walk away with, is that if I'm a manager of something, I have to give an account. You ever thought about that? Like if you have a broker, right? If you have a money manager or a broker and you call them, you want them to be able to give an account of where your money is. And if they can't, you get really nervous. You ever call, you call your broker up like, hey, you know, where are my funds? Where are they allocated? How are they doing? What if he's like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I, I put it on a post-it note somewhere. I'm sure it's fine. How would you feel about that scenario? What if you, because this, this is what a great manager, a great steward does. They have an account of where everything is. And in addition to that, they have a plan for where it's going, right? So they don't, because can you imagine like you just ask the same broker, be like, okay, well, wh where are we going with this? What's the plan? What's the future? What are we doing with this money? What if he was like, well, I'm going to Vegas next month. I mean, we can, we can let it ride. You know, we can bet on black. You know, we can do whatever you want. And you were like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, a great manager has a plan, they have a budget, they have a strategy, they're mindful, and they just don't do whatever they want with your money. And this is what I need you to recognize. You shouldn't just do whatever you want with that money because it's not yours. Remember, you're not the owner. You're the steward. That before every major financial decision you ever make, you would consider the Lord and say, God, this is your money. I'm just managing it because one day I'm going to give an account. What would you have me do with this? How would you have me be a wise Steward. Somebody said that's good. That's good. But let's move on because it gets better. All right. Your number three is this. This one doesn't get better. This one gets worse, but, th but then we'll get better. Okay. Uh, master debt or debt masters you. Now, here's an ancient Jewish thought. They believed that when they looked at debt, that debt was a slave master. So they're like, well, we don't want to be enslaved again. We were enslaved in Egypt and we, we figured out that was not good. We do not want to go into slavery again. I'll prove it to you. This is what they said back in the book of Proverbs as well. Are you ready? Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor. That's just an observation. And the borrower is what? Slur servant. But the Hebrew word, they're slave. Like the English writers being kind. They do that a few times. They're like, take the edge off a little bit. Like, hey, what do we mean? <laughs> like every once in a while, you know, the Bible says, yeah, that's stupid. But we don't really put the word stupid in there. We, we put something nicer than that. This is one of those mo moments. It's like, no, 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 not slave. No, nobody wants to be a slave to anything. But they thought, no, debt at the rate of about 16% interest is a form of slavery. And this is why they were forbidden. I don't know if you know this, but back in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, they were forbidden to charge interest when they gave loans to their fellow countrymen. They were, they were forbidden to do it. it. And, you know, in the Old Testament, they would, they would link many times this idea of don't do this for remember you were once slaves in Egypt. Right. This is one of those. They go, no, 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 we don't do that. As a matter of fact, they had this other concept too called the year of Jubilee. They wanted to every 50 years, meaning once in every person's lifetime, you got debt free and you got your land given back to you if you had lost it. They just believed, no, we are not going to put one another in debt. Even to this day, they have these Jewish um, kind of loan societies where you can go get an interest-free loan depending on if you can qualify as a Jewish person or not because they just believe, no, 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 slavery is there. and We don't want anybody enslaved. We want you to be free. Can I get an amen? So what you have to do is you have to realize that MasterCard, they, they call that for a reason, it is a master over your life at the rate of 16%. And here's, here, this is, this is free. This isn't even my notes. But if you're just a financial person, I'm going to give you the best nugget of the day. Are you ready? Really wise people are making interest. Foolish people are paying interest. And that's the difference right there. 
That's the difference between people who are on an upward trajectory or people who are struggling through life. Some people are paying interest. Some people are making interest. And you've got to figure out the difference. But you've got to begin to change. How many know, like, sometimes you have a little bit of a gag reflex when you see something gross or smell something gross? You're like, ew. That's the way you need to feel about debt. Like, my wife will do that all the time. My wife has the, the scent and the nose of a bloodhound. She could find small children in a forest. Unbelievable sense of smell. And ev- not everyone's like, all the time. Like, oh, do you smell that? Do you smell- I can't smell anything. My nose is dead. I don't know why. But she's like, do you smell that? Ew, ew. That's the way you need to feel about debt. Do you see this? Ew. And you've got to work like crazy. I wish I could talk more about this, but I'll tell you, you've got to work like crazy. Say, no, debt. I need to see it differently, and then I need to respond to it differently so that I can be free because God wants you to be free. Can I get an amen? All right, number next is this. Number four is this. Oh, this is a good one. All right, everybody say this with me. Everybody say, I have a square. I have a square. Come on, say it like, like the... I don't know. The Spurs just won the title? Where are we at? We're in San Antonio. I had to think of your sports team. Are y'all Cowboy fans here? What do y'all do here? Texans? Bengals. Bengals. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Everybody with me? Like, like your favorite sports team just won. Everybody say, I have a square, but I live in a circle. All right. Let me explain what that means. There's a scripture way back in the book of Leviticus that explains this. And it says this. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not... Holy reap the corners of your field. If you have corners, what do you have? You got a square. So I have a square, but you're not going to live in that square. Watch this. You don't holy reap the corners of your field, nor do you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger, for I am the Lord your God. You know what he's saying? He's like, all right, you got this square, right? But I don't want you to cut the corners. You know what I need you to have? I need you to have some leftover. I need you to have some margin. I need, to live, I need you to live beneath your means so that you have extra. So that at any opportunity, you can be a blessing to somebody else around you. But see, the American mentality is different. It says, man, I got this square. Man, this, is, this square is cool. I'm living in this square. And you know what? I'm going to borrow some from your square at 16% interest. And I'm just going to, I want to increase my squares, right? And that's a bad mentality. You got to live beneath your means, live with margin. That way you've got leftover in life. That's how you actually have the opportunity to go and to give and to do and to grow and do whatever it is that God's called you to do. But if you're strapped, because here's what I found. Every once in a while, we'll do a cause. Something cool like this where you're going to help kids get out of sex trafficking. What an incredible cause. Who wouldn't want to help with that? But every once in a while, your heart says, oh, I want to help with that. But then your budget says, I can't help with that. But see, this is why God wants to get something to you. Because if you live like this, you're going to be able to go and do and give and bless. And God is going to be awesome. And that's what we want to set you up for. But you've got to be able to, even though you live in a square, you're going to live actually in the circle instead. Number five is this. Really good principle. Everybody say this with me. Everybody say knowledge is wealth. wealth. See, we believe, and basic simple logic would say, well, money is wealth. Jewish people would say, no, it's not. Knowledge is wealth. I'll prove it to you. This will make so much sense, right? Watch this. Check this out. Let's say I take a person who's really wise and really smart with money, and I take all their money away. What will they have in five years? They'll have more money. So is their money their wealth or is their knowledge their wealth? Their knowledge their wealth. Watch this. Opposite true. Let's say I take a, a poor person who's really foolish with money, and I give them lots of money. What will they have in five years? No money. <laughs> you get it now? You gotta remember. Watch this. This is brilliant. Ready? Proverbs chapter 3. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding for she. Everybody say she. she. Guys, you're not going to like this. Uh, wisdom is a woman. You just <laughs> took me two decades to figure that out. My wife is smarter than I am. 
You know, I just was reminded of this because I was with my buddy. My buddy Steve's there on the second row. And we were building a, a gym in his garage. And um, he has a samurai sword hanging in his garage. Now, doesn't that sound awesome? Guys, when you see a samurai sword, what, what do you got to do? You got to grab that samurai sword. And you got to open it up and unsheath it and like swing it around because you're like a ninja. In your heart, you are. And what happens when you swing around a sword in a garage with low ceilings and light bulbs above you? My wife has never done that. I do dumb stuff like that all the time. Because wisdom is a woman. I digress. For she is more prof. Watch this. This is, this is the Bible. For she is more profitable than silver. So what's more value? The, the, the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding, or the actual silver? The Jewish people are proof of this because how many times in their history has their land been taken from them and their money been taken from them and yet they still, even though they make up like 0.2% of the world population, if you look at the number of people and the number of wealth, the number of patents, the number of Fortune 500 companies, it's astounding because they realized money is not wealth. How ridiculous. Knowledge is wealth because you can steal my wealth. You can't steal my knowledge. Change the way you think. And this is why you constantly are pursuing knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that you can grow in your financial economy. All right, number six, let's keep going, is this. Number six is this, invest for the long term. I even want to say it like this, invest generationally. Like have a generational mentality to the way that you invest. Because most of us, when we think about our money, we're thinking about next week, next rent. Maybe we're thinking about the next five years. Maybe we're thinking about retirement. And that, that's usually the extent of how far in the future we think about our finances. But Jewish people had this notion of, what if we thought differently? Now, don't get me wrong. Please, by all means, think about your retirement, but think even further. What, what will I leave to my kids and how will I set them up for success? How can I set up my kids' kids for success? How can I make sure that every generation actually starts further ahead than the generation right before it? Watch this. Are you ready? This is in uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. A good person or a righteous person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. That's your kids' kids. Them's your grandkids. What if you thought about every financial decision? What if, number one, let's go back to being stewards and managers. What if we just thought, before I do anything, let me consider the Lord? What if I, before I do anything, what if I thought God first? What if I considered margin and I'm a steward? Okay, da, da, da. now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now that I've got margin, now I've got a budget, let me make decisions based on how will this impact and affect and how can I set up my grandchildren for success? How would that change the way that you thought about money? How would that change the way that you made decisions? Yeah. This is how you change your future, everybody, for generations to come by thinking differently. As a matter of fact, there's an old saying that says uh, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Anybody ever heard this before? It's like an old saying. I don't even know where it comes from. But the idea was is that every once in a while you would get a person that comes along who's really, really smart and good with money, and they're a natural-born wealth producer. And what they would do is they would build a company and a business and, and, and an empire, if you will, some type of economy. And what they would do is, is that eventually they would pass along the money. But if they didn't pass along the knowledge, remember we talked about knowledge as well, if they didn't pass that along, then the money in the second generation wouldn't totally be wasted or squandered because that generation saw what mom did, saw what dad did. I don't know how to make it, but I mean, I know at least the value of it. And so they usually go into the, the second generation of sustaining wealth. And then by the time you get to the third generation, they didn't see grandpa make it. They kind of know a little bit of how to sustain it, but they really don't. And because the knowledge is not passed down, only the money itself is passed down, you go literally from a, a wealth producer to a wealth sustainer to a wealth waster. 
and you'll go from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in just three generations. That's why it's so important that you think generationally. Again, not just with the dollar amount, but also with the knowledge that you pass along with it. That will change your absolute trajectory and your family future. Because I mean, know some of y'all have some crazy family tree. Some nuts and some squirrels and some clowns up in there. There's some weird stuff in your family tree. What if you totally rearranged the trajectory of your family tree and it started today? I'm telling you, these are the principles that will change your life. Last one is this, and I'll begin to wrap up. The last one is this, invest for eternity. I'm telling you what, this is the most important thing that you can do because at the end of the day, let's be honest, all the stuff and all the things don't last forever. Remember we said you can't attach a U-Haul to a hearse. Like you, you ain't taking that stuff with you. What is it that actually makes it into eternity? It's people. So at some point, you begin to look at all your finances and say this, how does my money actually help move people into heaven. And if it doesn't do that, then what am I really doing? Watch what the Apostle Paul says. The Apostle Paul kind of stole some language from Jesus. You might recognize some of the language here. Are you ready? The Apostle Paul is teaching Timothy how to pastor, and he says, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. That sounds pretty good. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. I'm telling you, there's just a different way to think. How does my finances, how does my economy move people from here to heaven? And if it doesn't, I don't think my investment strategy is thinking long-term enough. Now watch this. Let's go back to the story. Remember that story about the fisherman listening to Rabbi Jesus, trusting the moment, trusting the rabbi? Are you ready for this? Now watch this. The Bible says that, remember, Jesus had them push out and to put their clean nets back in the water, even though he is not an expert fisherman. They're probably annoyed and frustrated, but they said, because you say so, Jesus, I will humor you. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came. They end up filling both boats, so full that both boats began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Which is weird because it's like, y'all in a boat. Where's Jesus going to go? <laughs> For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's, par- Simon's partners. And then, watch, this is so huge. Are you ready? I'm done. This is it. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. This is the point I'm trying to make when I talk about investing for eternity. You want to position yourself in life that you are so blessed, not because you're going to hoard anything, but that the blessing actually spills over into everyone else that's close to you in proximity and around you. But then Jesus even goes so much deeper than that. He goes, no, 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 that's cool. Your boat's full. That's great. I don't really care. Hey, their boats are full. That's cool. You know, that's not the point, right? Now follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Because at the end of the day, I don't care about fish. This is about people. And I'm going to help you live a life and have such a kingdom economy that you live your life moving people from this place into heaven. That's the point. We don't just invest for the, for the long term. We invest for eternity. Can I get an amen to that?